Welcome to Unmarked, a collaborative podcast brought to you by Soccer Bible and Out of Home. Let's go! Yo, you're listening to the Unmarked Show. This is Unmarked. Yo, this is Unmarked. This is Unmarked. Wouldn't believe it, Jeff. He's broken past two defenders, completely on his own in the box. Now tuning in to the Unmarked Podcast. You're listening to Unmarked, featuring Kieran Kwame, Yaf and Steven. You London boys are crazy. What's going on, people? I have the pleasure of introducing you to the first ever Unmarked show. I go by the name of Loki, and I am one quarter of the Out of Home Collective. Over the course of the Unmarked series, you'll get to know and learn the voices of my brothers, Yaf, Stephen and Kwame, four Londoners living in Amsterdam, capturing and sharing stories of inspiring people while sharing our own. And over the last nine months, we've spoken to some incredible people from different walks of life, whether that's artists, DJs, stylists, Olympians. We've managed to connect different people from different backgrounds through the power of conversation. But there's one thing or one sport that we're truly passionate about, and that's football. And I guess that's where Soccer Bible comes in. And if you're here, I'm sure you know just who Soccer Bible are. Together, we've created a brand new football podcast. For us, a market is for the players. A platform allowing footballers to open up and offer a side of themselves that isn't usually seen by the fans or the media. We believe that Soccer Bible and Out of Home with this show can break down barriers and start to own our own narrative by having unfiltered conversation and celebrating black culture in football. So I ain't going to let you wait any longer. Let's get into our first show of Unmarked. This one's with Dutch maestro and entrepreneur, Ryan Babel. Let's go. Today, we have a special announcement to make. You know that we're all sports fans, right? But there's one sport that unites us. That's football, fam. That's football. And seeing as we have a platform, we wanted to change the way that players were perceived, right? And for too long, the media have been touched tight. Controlling the narrative about footballers. The good, the bad, the ugly, you know, mm-hmm. it's a little bit unfair, right? A little bit one-sided. And as you know, the game's a game of two hearts. So in partnership with Soccer Bible, that's right, Soccer Bible, bro. Tell them again. Soccer Bible, we're delivering a brand new football series and it's called Unmarked. Giving some of your favourite players the space to speak freely and give our listeners the opportunity to see them in a better life. So without further ado, I want to introduce to you our first guest. Played in over six countries, representing his own. His former club just won the Premier League, hailing from a place that we know very, very well, Amsterdam. It's none other than Ryan Babel. He's so nice, my guy! <laughs> Everyone's just there watching me. Everyone's just there watching me, like, attentively. Why are you laughing at me? You're putting me off, bro. Loved it. (laughs) No, bro, I was just just on the edge of my seat like a proud dad. I was just like, this is sick. (laughs) Oh, that was wavy, man. Yeah, man. So, so Ryan, listen, basically, it's an out-of-home podcast, man. Um, Every every episode that we do, we do this one thing. um, And we ask each other, what made you smile? It's a way that we can connect with each other, understand what's been going on in their week, and it, it just helps us, like, be really grateful for the things that we have in our lives. So mm-hmm. I'm, I want to kick this off by asking you and the rest of the man then, what made you smile this week, bro? What made me smile this week? Um, that's a good question, you know. Um, I mean, I think I have to say my son, for sure. You know, 
Um, my son is 10 years old, um, but he's already, um, I think, in my opinion, further than his age. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, he's a smart guy. He asks me questions sometimes that I have to really think hard how I'm going to answer it. But <laughs> I love it. You know, I love uh, that he's uh, curious. Yeah. Uh, I love that he uh, is asking questions. And uh, to be honest, also with him, you know, um, I'm keeping it hundred with him. You know, like um, the world that we live in today. Um, I remember when I grew up that my parents tried to keep me in a fairy tale as long as possible. But uh, no, I just keep it hundred with him and uh, trying to explain him what's going on, and um, so that he understands that you know it's no fantasy world that we live in that's only you know good stuff but yeah what was um sorry no i was gonna say ryan what's like what's the craziest question that he's asked you like yeah how do i answer this with full honesty um what was the craziest question um obviously i think it, it it comes down to um um i guess you know race you know um, he he has moved to a few uh, countries where I played football, and um, yeah, you know, uh, he had periods where he was one of the fewer uh, darker children from his class. So you know, it was him uh, asking question and curiosity, like, "Hey, you know, um, how come this school doesn't have so much?" You know, uh, people from the same skin color. And, um, you know, you had to explain him like, hey, this is maybe a different area, a different type of neighborhood. Um, and, and and you try to be honest with him, but at the same time, not scare him too much. Um, but um, yeah. Yeah, those type of questions he asks sometimes. Wow, man. Yeah. Must be a beautiful thing being able to, like, instill your knowledge into your, your, your little human in it, right? Yeah, it's it's mind blowing for the fact that you, you know, um, you can you can mold him how you want, right? Mm -hmm. So, if you make him believe, let's say your your beanie is red, but you make him believe from the start it's blue, he will always fight for it to, to <laughs> say it's blue. Everybody, yeah. said, no, it's red. He was like, no, no, my father said it's blue. So, <laughs> you know, it's 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 things like that. You can you can mold your your only child and and. Um, I think that's a beautiful thing. And you try to um, see um, the things that you came out short when you grew up. You try to mm -hmm. uh, give that, of course, and you try to improve that also, um, the things that your parents maybe didn't do too well. And um, so, yeah, it's an interesting journey. Like every day, it's a learning process, you know? Amazing, man. Amazing. Yeah. What about you, Lo? What, what made you guys smile this week? I can go. Um, go on, yeah. Go on, yeah. Obviously, me and Kwame linked up actually in 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 Bilma, Ryan, mm. and um, we was at the um, like a celebration for for Keti Koti. Oh yeah, yep. yeah, yeah. That was sick. Like, because I didn't even know about it. I didn't know yeah. Kwame was the one who sort of schooled me and gave me the download and everything that was going on. And um, yeah, we was at like this little exhibition, and all the artwork there was was done by mm. people who are of either Surinamese descent or have some sort of connection to the country. Yeah, and. Um, yeah, it's just like the first time I was with bare people together since mm -hmm. coronavirus. Because obviously, mm -hmm. you know, like we've been on lockdown for the last few months, whatever. And yeah. now, especially in Amsterdam, things are starting to open up a little bit. And yeah. yeah, it was just nice. It was nice to be around people who were 
all there celebrating the same thing, you know. Yeah. That's the... definitely the highlight of my week and, and what made me smile, man. Right. Oh, nice. Oh, oh. What about you, Clem? I guess I have to I have to think back on what Yaf said. Um, I have two things, but the first thing was definitely um, learning more about the culture. My my girlfriend, as you might know, but Ryan Ward is from um, is from that Suriname. So like she, she 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 she's always dropping gems on me about the culture, and I never knew the Dutch had such a, a long history with Dutch yeah. Antilles and yeah. Suriname. So yeah, that, that, and it was also nice to share with my friends like Yaf and our pal Nathan, and just see people come together, like learn more. You know, that taking art, music, and culture and food, yeah. that was dope. And then on a personal, selfish but um, a football-related level, Arsenal finally have got someone to sign the thing, which is called Kyle Saka. Saka, oh, yeah, yeah, Some of his yeah, best yeah. years. So uh, that's good. So maybe in three years' time, he'll go to Man City, but at least not going to the free transfer. So <laughs> <laughs> uh, I can go next. I can go next. Um, what made me smile this week, man? Coming back home, I've been home for like the last few weeks. I'm in London at the minute. And um, just coming back home and seeing my family and my friends, um, celebrating my dad's 60th, my mum and dad's 20th anniversary, meeting up some old friends, just having some real conversations and just like, just understanding that home is where your heart is, you understand? And like, without coming home, you can't, you don't know your roots. And like, I've been going through it, like the whole figuring out who I am uh, whilst I've been in Amsterdam, but coming back just like, gave me a little bit more confidence and a little bit more understanding that, yeah, man's here now, I'm ready. So that's what made me smile this week, man. Wavy, bro. I can feel the energy. Yeah. Um, Mine's similar. So like um, a couple of days ago, I managed to come back home also uh, to London. And for me, uh, the last couple of weeks have been very hard and very heavy with what's going on in the world. Um, Balancing work, balancing um, so many conversations uh, with someone like my white friends, white colleagues, or, you know, just a lot of soul searching and when I came home um, I didn't realise how tired I was and like, I think like mm. just, just seeing like my mum and my brother was like just a huge like relief but then I just went in a deep sleep and my mum was like wow you must have been like, um, must have been like really really tired and like, I didn't really realise that in myself I'd just been going on about my daily thing and I think it really taught to me like the importance of like making sure like mentally um, mm-hmm. during this period that we switch off and then uh, I've just since then I've just been soaking up like mum's food so I've just yeah. been eating all kinds of like jollof rice um, nice. yam. I'm eating more than I've ever eaten in my life if I, if I don't come back to Amsterdam with at least two chins I ain't doing it right man <laughs> <laughs> that's gonna come over the uncle belly bro right <laughs> already, already here we're balancing right now man Oh yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that that made me smile this week. Nice. Sick, bro. Sick. I do. Quinn. You're on mute, fam. My bad. <laughs> <laughs> no, um, so obviously, you know, Ryan, like, you know, even though like even though like, we we all have a common link and that we have spent also equally some time living in the UK and some time living in Amsterdam. And you know, we just want to know more about your journey. You know, you spoke about was a Zaud also. Would you like to just take us through just like a trip down memory lane about like how it, how it was for you growing up, coming up in the in the IX Academy and yeah, just like life as a youngster um, mm. in the Belmer when you were growing up. Yeah, um, Belmer right now today is um, a very beautiful place to live. You know, um, but uh, in my time. 
And then I'm talking about, I remember when I was like eight, nine, all the way towards 14, 15, um, basically the 90s. Uh, Belmer was still nice to live. I had a great, uh, great life there, but it was, it was tough. Um, uh, um, Belmer was once uh, stemmed by, uh, yeah, the most difficult neighborhood from Holland. Mm. Um, it was always, it, it had always bad press in the news. Um, so, yeah, if you, if you told people outside Belmer, you're from Belmer, then it was directly like a, a defensive, you know, kind of uh, behavior from people like, oh, if you're from Belmer, you must be like a Turk or you must be, you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. Uh, I, when I uh, grew up in school, um, I had friends. I was very naive as a kid. Um, I had very strict parents, so I, I didn't really have uh, interest in, in doing bad stuff. But of course, naturally in school, you, you, you're going to bump into those type of friends. Um, <clears throat> so the thing uh, with me was like in, in my uh, generation, you had some of these guys who were always, <clears throat> they, look, they were always looking fly. And I thought that they were getting money from their parents, you know, because that was the thing <laughs> back in the days. Like some parents, they would give their, their children a monthly type of, you know, pocket change, you know. And um, I thought always like, man, they get a lot of pocket change, man, to wear Prada and to wear, you know, these flyers, outfits and stuff. And I, was n I never got pocket change for my money, so... I was trying, but I, I wanted to do the same lifestyle, right? I think this is high school. Um, it was the time where uh, the phone Nokia was a big deal. Remember? The, 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 <laughs> with, with yeah. And, uh, uh, Nokia. yeah. So I had a classmate who I was really tight with. And, and he, at the end, I could see a clear change in his behavior and, 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 and what he was wearing. So I was like, hey, what's going on with you? Like, and he was like, yeah, you know, I'm in this crew, you know, we were, we are stealing phones and then we were selling it and everybody gets a cut. Mm -hmm. I was like, how does it work? Right. So he was like, well, you know, um, let's say we have the class, right. The group of class. And then he would steal a phone from a classmate and then would go to the toilets as the teacher, if he would go to the toilet and then he would give it to another guy in school who would then meet up in, in toilet. That guy would give it to another person. That guy would give it to another person. All of a sudden, you know, you have this whole chain of the phone going away. Yeah. So by the time the person actually figured out, hey, my phone is gone, you know, the teacher couldn't do anything because... In a completely different classroom by now. Exactly, exactly right? <laughs> yeah, boy, trust so, me. So these phones at that time would be getting sold for like 200 euros or 250 euros and everybody yeah. would 50 euros, right? But you have to understand like on a daily basis, like maybe five, six phones would, would getting stolen in, in, in school. Yeah. And deep in my heart, I knew it was wrong, but it was very tempting. I was like, hey, it's easy money. So, you know, I, I participated uh, uh, twice in, 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 you know, in, in uh, yeah, that type of uh, transaction. But then we almost got caught. And uh, when we got caught, um, you know, my father has always, has always been a very tough man. So the first thoughts in my head was like, hey, if my father fi figure, uh, finds out, I'm dead. 
You're screwed. Yeah, 100%. Yeah, you know. And, uh, um, yeah, trust me. I, I got away, uh, luckily. and and But then, you know, I was like, no, nah, man, I, I cannot do that stuff, you know. So I, I immediately, yeah, that was my <laughs> short career of, of being like, you know, uh, I don't know how you call it, a roadman, maybe. <laughs> on the road, <laughs> on the road. <laughs> how it is. <laughs> but no, I, I never, uh, I never touched that life, but I then realized like, hey, you know, this, this is real, you know, like some of these guys are like probably have more freedom to do what they do. Um, but no, that's not my life. And um, that was kind of like, you know, before I actually became professional football player at 17. Um, I also had a phase between uh, 13 and 16 years old. Um, you have, uh, you had these Surinamese uh, bands was very popular back in the days. And I was playing for, for a few of those, you know. I was performing. Marco, yeah. You know. Marco, yeah. Yeah. It was well, like, like, like pans or? Um, no, so you had. like a proper band? Yeah, a proper band. So you had like. Uh, uh, what was, instrument do you play? I was playing keyboard. Uh, hey. Yeah. You still play now? Do you still play now? Uh, I can still play, but I haven't touched. Oh, man. Yeah. Crazy. You know, so, um and uh, I ended up uh, being in a, like a, like a choir of three, you know. So you had like a lead singer, and then me being in a choir holding notes and stuff like. It so you was a musician, bro. Yeah, yeah. I was on this thing from day. Things you didn't know about Ryan Babu. Yeah, man. <laughs> so, I, I love uh, the transition from like Roadman Ryan to like Babu in the band. I love yeah. that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> You know, the thing was, the motivation was like all the girls that time, they, they would love to have from the band, you know, so wanted to be part of that, right? So uh, that's where the motivation came from, you know. It was a good, it was a good journey, you know, it was, um, it was fun. Definitely. You, did you say that you played at the, the Kwaku Festival as well? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So back then, like oh, now, they, I haven't been Crazy. in Kwaku for a long time, but I heard now you have to pay money to, to get in. Yeah. Before it was just open, it was open house. You just walk wow. in, it was busy. Um, you had like these tents, they set up these tents, and in every tent you had like either food or you had these little stages set up and, and bands playing, you know. So um, I was performing there with my band, you know, like uh, people watching. Yeah. Uh, was sick, yeah, man. And how would you, because obviously there's going to be a lot of people who haven't lived in Amsterdam, haven't been, like, how would you describe what the Kwaku Festival is? Kwaku Festival is uh, basically, you know, a yearly celebration of Surinamese culture, you know, so they they, they have events like uh, football um, events with, with Surinamese food, they have uh, performances of Surinamese culture, uh, uh, bands, of course, and, and it's a get-together with, with a lot of people. And it's not only for Surinamese people, because also everybody eventually, um, uh, um, the festival was uh, becoming a lot, of, uh, uh, a lot of popularity. And people all over the country, at the end, you know, came to visit Kwaku mm. Festival for the food or for, you know, a nice day out. And uh, it was just a get-together with, with a lot of, you know, good spirits. Yeah, I remember the first yeah. time I went here, it was before I actually lived in Amsterdam, innit? And my boy was like, yeah, there's this thing happening. I don't know too much about it, but apparently it's lit. Yeah. And I came, I came when I was like seeing this girl and she was, she was with us in it. Right. So we've got to the thing, yeah. And in the line, I'm just like, what's, what's, what, where, where are these beautiful women from? Like, what, what's going on here? <laughs> For the whole time, yeah, this girl was just touched tight to me. 
not letting me go because she saw the play, bro. She saw right. all them beautiful Sudanese <laughs> women. Bro, that day I said to myself, I may end up with a Sudanese wife. Yeah. I'm yeah. telling you, man. I'm telling you. Oh, dope. And then obviously, like, Suriname is so important to Netherlands in terms of, like, the food and the culture. It also was important to, like, a lot of, a lot of, basically, football around the world. A lot of Dutch icons have Surinamese backgrounds. Clarence Seydorf, Edgar Davids, I even believe Jimmy Floyd Hasselbank. Yep. The list goes on and on. Do you understand? Yep. Like, uh, and you like, know what's funny? Explain that link if you can for a second. You know what's funny? It's still, even though you have a lot of people who have uh, the background, uh, their roots, Suriname, still if you ask a lot of people, do you know where Suriname is? Nobody yeah, knows. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Unbelievable. Nobody knows. And if you, they, they, the first reaction will be um, Africa. Yes, yeah. You know? But if you tell them South America, they'd be like, yeah, really? Like, yeah. they don't even know. You know, so it's, but, uh, it's funny. But that, that, that's a really good thing about, about, about football because it, it teaches you about culture and what's going on. I remember you in Euro 96, I saw a lot of, like, black and brown players. So I would see, oh, yeah. like, I see Patrick Kluivert, who also is Sudanese. Oh, yeah. I see, like, um, Aaron Vintar. So from an early age, I understood that there was obviously some kind of black presence in Netherlands, and now I mean it's changing now. But in, in Euro '96, I remember specifically the the the, the German team that, that went on to win was extremely white. Yeah. But, but but now if we look at the German team, it's a lot more diverse. So maybe maybe someone my age now would understand from an early age. Oh, there seems to be some kind of Turkish influence or, yeah. or, or, or Tunisian. So I think football, as we all know, can definitely serve as a great tool of entertainment, but also education. 100%. So um, speaking of education. Um, you came up, I believe, under the very famous Ajax Academy. Yeah, as a youngster, like, what was that like? And um, and, and explain that as a youngster on the brink and then making it to the first team because I think you broke the team at quite a young age, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, first of all, it's uh, of course it's a it's a privilege to 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 come out for the youth academy and um, yeah, you know, when you're young in Holland and you want to become a football player, every every player in, in Holland wants to play for Ajax. You know, it's a famous youth academy. Um, you know, you just feel special when you, you don't get chosen. And I got chosen at a very young age, a 10-year-old. And every year, every football season, it's like a survival. You know, you have to perform, uh, you have to do well. And then at the end of the year, you know, you have a, a conversation with your parents and the coach who will tell you either, hey, man, he, he did well. He can go to the next uh, team higher up. Or unfortunately, we don't think he's good enough. You know, this was his last year. So every year was like, okay, you know, what's going to happen? You know, and um, most years I was comfortable. It was only one year that was like under 14s where I had, uh, where they actually put me in the under 16s and I was struggling a little bit. And um, that year was my only year in the Youth Academy where I was kind of nervous for making it to the next team. But um, at the end, you know, I made it and, and I was 17 to play my first game in the, in the first team. And, and, and yeah, you know, the rest is uh, basically history. Ryan, quickly, do you feel the pressure of like, of wanting to become a professional footballer at an early age? Or was it just like, I'm just here to enjoy it? Yeah, no, I was, I was uh, so like I said, I've, I've always been a naive type of person right um so mm. in the beginning it was really just enjoying and um i think at the end that was also something that uh, i had to came to reality the hard way when i was already professional football player so mm. what i did with naive was in the youth team um 
you're, you're all friends. You have fun. You kick it. You have fun uh, during training, during games. Uh, and I was a striker. I was the number nine. And there were a lot of uh, games where we, for example, let's say we won 6-0. But I didn't score as a striker, but I gave like four assists. Or mm. I played an incredible great game by holding the ball well, making a lot of great dribbles, um, having a lot of great actions. But I didn't score. And that time in the youth, it was okay. Like, you know, uh, but eventually in the first team, I had to come, uh, I think it was just in Liverpool where I came to realize, no, it's not about actually how you play. It's about statistics. Mm. You know, it's like statistics is at the end the football politics. If you talk about um, whether a team wants to buy you and what your value is, you know? And I always thought, or the way, you know, I've been taught in the youth academy is they also look very detailed if you are a player who also make other players play better, uh, you know? Mm -hmm. And and that was naturally my quality. Like, I didn't always score goals, but as a number nine, I made my number 10 score most of those goals, you know, by holding it and laid it off or... Mm -hmm. You know, the wingers assists or whatever it was, you know. And that's why if you look at my track record in terms of uh, statistics, I've never been a top, top goal scorer. Yeah. Um, and, and that, I think, has always haunted me in my career where teams were always like, yeah, you're good, but we are not sure if we want to spend that money on you, you know. And, Would you uh, want... Sorry, fine. Yeah, so, you know, that that has always haunted me in my career and... Sometimes, you know, uh, uh, with a type of frustration because you saw other players who, in your opinion, were not as good as you, as, as yourself, but they had a good 15-goal or 20-goal track record for the last mm. season, for example, and then mm. made this beautiful transfer to a big team, you know? Yeah, yeah. But then you already knew, like, he's not good enough, and then at the end, yeah, you saw he didn't make it at a top team, and then, yeah, he made another transfer. But a lot of players moved like that, and... I, I find that a little bit unfortunate that it's only they only look at stati uh, statistics and not rather than is he actually a good player and does he make the team better? You mm. know? Yeah, you said it haunted you. Do you feel like you could have you, you do you feel like you should have been more selfish in front of goal when you were yes. when you were coming up? Okay. Yeah, and okay, I okay. was never really a, for a striker. I was not selfish enough. Mm. You know, and that's also I think one of the reasons where at the end I was put as a winger early on and uh, because yeah you know they saw hey you're as a striker you're still able to have you, you can dribble but you're also good at assisting right so you're going to play left now and 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 we're going to buy a striker who's scoring goals and mm. um but they always told me and they always promised me like you will get your chance again at strike so always in my mind i thought okay well i'm a striker and i'm going to get my chance back but then Early on, I was doing well as left winger. Then as 18-year-old, I got selected in the national team as winger. So all of a sudden, now the winger starts a new life. You know, now mm -hmm. I'm as winger. You know, I made my uh, transfer to Liverpool as winger. Um, so, yeah, you know, the striker now was put off, you know, and, and that was a shame. So um, that was me of being naive, thinking like, oh, you know, as long as I do well for the team, as long as if we win, 
then I'm doing okay. But it was not that. Football is actually a very selfish game and you have to really mm. think about your track record. You know? Yeah. That's crazy, man. And yeah. like, Ryan, you touched on your that first move, yeah, from, from Ajax to Liverpool. What was that like, man? You just you just mentioned a little bit of your story, like coming from, from the BIMS, you know, going from, you know, doing some stuff in the school to then being Sweet Boy Babble and playing in the band. But then it was like, yo, like I'm moving to the UK, to the Premier League, one of the best, or the arguably best league in the world. Like, how, how was that for you and your family? And what was that like, man? Um, yeah, well, it was a very big move, of course. And um, I think everybody's dream is to play at one point in the Premier League. Um, at that time, I uh, didn't know much about how big Liverpool was. Of course, I, I knew, uh, you know, Stephen Gerrard, you knew the locals, Jamie Carragher. Um, they won the league before um, 2005. Um, but I was always an Arsenal fan, you know? Yeah, you know? Come and, on. And, 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 and so it was naturally not directly the move that I wanted to make, but because I did some digging and, 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 and some research, I saw, hey, you know, it's like an incredible club, like, you know, uh, uh, with a lot of history and, and, and um, also with the plan that they had, you know, at that time, uh, what they promised me with everything together, I decided to, to go. And, and, and you know, um, a lot of people would say, you know, you went to, to Premier League way too early. And, and yes, of course, I could have stayed one more year in Holland or two more years. But I don't regret the move. You know, I've had an wow. incredible time, incredible four seasons there um, with, with, with uh, positives and negatives, uh, you know. But that's where I actually, you know, became a man, you know, in terms of life and also with, with, with football. Ryan, um, just on to making it to Liverpool, because um, I actually did my MBA in Liverpool and, uh, and I did it as a Manchester United fan. Okay. So it was tense. It was tense. Yeah. Um, can you describe what it was like living in uh, Liverpool? Because even for me, going from like kind of London to Liverpool, it was a big culture shock for me. So um, I'm just curious to have yeah, your experiences of the city and the people, how were you received? Yeah. Um, to be honest, I, um, I love the city. I love the city. And I'm not saying it because um, uh, I play there, but um, I went there with certain judgments, you know, because other people were telling me like, oh, the city is uh, crap and this and that. And I was like, oh, so I went there already with like, <laughs> you know, did I make the right choice? And But uh, at the end, you know, the people were very nice to me. Um, you know, I was highly supported uh, by the locals. Um, at the end, I, I bought a house there, which I still have. Um, and yeah, I had I had a great time. I, I built a great relationship with people there and I had a few local friends and yeah, I made my way around the city. Manchester was not too far away. So when I felt like going there, I went to Manchester and I had a great time. Man, man was out in China, why is Manchester, you know? Right, you know? Hey. I'm from New I used to live in Manchester, yeah. And like, anytime you go to them clubs, all the footballers from the north just come oh, yeah. to the... So yeah. then you're just like, fam, what am I supposed to do, bro? You've got Man United bro. players there, Man City <laughs> players there, Man United. And I'm just here wearing Vans, bro. <laughs> right. <laughs> oh, man. But not, right, you, you mentioned it earlier as well. Like, you played in, in loads of different countries, right? Like, then I think you then moved to Germany. You, you, 
he played in Turkey and obviously going back to Turkey, um, even in the UAE. Yeah. What has what has traveling done for you, man? And like, how have you been able to to grow as a person through all of these travels? I think it was. Um, I always been naturally a traveler, so I I love. Um, uh, I get bored easily, right? So if I don't feel inspired, I try to look for new motivation and inspiration. And um, at the end, you know, being at all these different places and cultures, um, it it has taught me more about you know, growing up in Belmer, right? And um, yeah, it's great. You know, I met so, met, so uh, many awesome people over the world, you know. Um, I've learned a lot from, um, you know, the Muslim religion when in, in Turkey, still in Turkey and also in UAE. And um, yeah, incredible people, man. It's um, that made me, uh, you know, the person I am today. And um, it's beautiful to see how the world actually, you know, in every different type of country, it's a whole different world, you know. and um, yeah, it's uh, interesting. How was that playing in the UAE, man? Because obviously it's a region with a lot of money. It's also a very specific culture. Like how, how was that moving there? Well, um, the way they were talking about it, especially in Holland, is like normally, which I understand and makes sense, it's like you made, you, you're going to make that move by the end of your career, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but... I always been a person who like to change narratives and 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 try to just be different and what feels right. Um, at that point, when I made the move, I was already kind of like in people's eyes, uh, falling off. So for me to make that move at uh, age twenty eight was easy. Uh, of course, the initial uh, uh, idea uh, was I made the move purely financially, but at the end, you still have there. People, uh, players with good quality, you know, locals with good quality. The league is not easy at all. Um, they have a lot of great stadiums where you play in. Uh, the only unfortunate thing is that the stadiums most of the time are empty. Uh, but no, football has been played very well there. And, um, um, you know, it was not like the perception that I had before that I could easily play on 60% of my abilities. No, you really had to put in effort and they expect highly uh, performance from you as a foreigner because they pay you so much money. Um, so there was still pressure there for me. Yeah. Yeah, man. Sick. And for us, like our whole, the whole concept of out of home is that we want to encourage people to come out of their comfort zone a little bit mm-hmm. more. And you basically are, are a great example of that, right? You spoke right. about wanting to be inspired. Like, just talk a little bit about how going to these different places inspired you and sort of elevated your mindset. Right. Um, I mean, to me, um, a city was never really important for me to make a decision in terms of what team I chose for. Because when I went to Hoffenheim, Hoffenheim in Germany is a a team and a a place in the middle of nowhere. It's like a farmer kind of, you know, uh, area. Uh, But I made it work, you know. Uh, Football was always first. Um, If the vision and everything was right, um i i made that decision right and um but yeah you know uh like i said every move um had a certain thing that inspired me um um i i went to turkey the first time to play for kashim pasa well at that time when they showed interest was a team that i'd never heard of you know so then you're gonna do what i naturally do is start researching start to get a feeling Oh, you, you notice yeah. uh, Kashim passes in Istanbul. Well, you hear things about Istanbul. At that point, I've never been to Istanbul, but you're going to try and reach people like what they 
think of Istanbul and uh, at the end you're going to start a conversation with with the club and then you see and photos uh, about training grounds and then you get the impression, right? So that's how I always uh, made my decision and, and, and also the plan, what they had for me personally. And, and, and if it touched me, then, then I made a move, you know? That's it, yeah. Ryan, like your journey's been like super interesting. And then uh, just listening to you, pick, I picked up on a couple of interesting things. Mm-hmm. So um, you're talking about um, kind of like people had the perception about uh, you falling off and then you're talking about kind of like having this like bad boy label. So I just wanted to understand from your perspective, like what's been um, your relationship like with um, the media, both good good and bad? Because um, I know we pick up on the negatives, but like sometimes there is a positive to it. So I just wanted to reflect on as you progress through your career, how has your relationship um, changed or gone up and down with, with the media? Mm-hmm. Um, interesting question. I think. Um what I noticed, and I think it's in general with most football players, um, especially the the talented ones, is like, you know, when you're talented, when you're young, you you can do most things right. Um, you know, so they, they highly praise you. Um, and then you play a few good games. And then the season after, slowly the expectations uh, start to come, right? From both media and fans. Um, with me personally... I had the same type of uh, 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 journey. Um, they praised me very highly. Uh, the new Patrick Kluivert, you know, when I was playing number nine in Ajax. Um, and then at one point, uh, when I got placed on left wing, they were starting to um, judge me on how I played on left wing. And I never played at left wing at that point. Like, not in the youth, never, you know. And in Ajax at that time, they expected from a winger to go outside. And if I went outside, I had to use my weaker foot, right? Yeah, yeah. So that was not developed that well at that point. And, and, and I was not playing well. And then I got totally killed and, 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 and you know, in the media, by fans and everything. And that was pretty hurtful, my first experience of getting negativity uh, that way. And How old were you when you got, first got that negativity? Yeah. It was it was weird because all, all of a sudden I started being so defensive towards media uh, people, you know, journalists uh, during interviews, and um, that gave it also a little bit more of. A, I made it kind of a little bit worse because I was already standing there with an aggressive type of intention. That's where I think also, especially um, Dutch people, started to maybe have a certain opinion about me and. and um, I think also till this day, you know, um, um, I always have this, in my opinion, this 50-50 type of relationship with, with Dutch people. You have a, a part that, that appreciates for what I've done and still doing. And you have a part who, you know, uh, think that I didn't deserve or still deserve uh, certain mm-hmm. things, right? Um, so yeah, you know, it's been it's been a, a rocky, a bumpy road uh, with my career, but um, it, at the end, also with the years, also looking at how other uh, players have trying to uh, navigate certain situations similar to what I've experienced, I try to learn um, you know a lot from those moments, and now today I'm trying to you know still use that in my favor, and um, yeah. yeah. 
I think I think it's sick how you can like be reflective on that journey and see both like um, the good and bad. And I'm 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 just gonna ask some like real questions because I'm curious. It's just like <laughs> from when you're introduced to the Ajax, did was there anything such as like media training? Were you, were you ever kind of schooled on kind of how to approach the media? No. What to say, what not to say, and never, never. Is no. that throughout your whole career? When did did you ever have a moment where that came in? No, no, never. Um, in my uh, experience, uh, in every team that I've played, um, they never uh, taught players how to speak with the media. Uh, the only things that you do have, sometimes if you knew you had, for example, a controversial moment, then um, the the press chef knew yeah. maybe certain questions were going to have been asked. So then he would give you heads up saying like, hey, if they ask you about this, just say you don't want to talk about it or just say I want to focus on the game. You know, so they just gave you a few, you know, points that you could mm. use during interviews. But no, you don't, you, you never get, I never had lessons on how to approach media. So uh, it came as, you know, it went and, and, and yeah, from that you had to learn. Yeah. And do you then, think uh, you would have benefited? Sorry, Stephen. Do you think you would have benefited if you had media training, or do you think it's not even that? Uh, I think if there is, um, I think if there was a great way how to teach players easy, mm. they can deal with the media. I think you would definitely have, you know, benefit uh, from it because, um, for example, I, I was always a person who liked to be honest, and. Um, what I'm doing different in compared to in my earlier interviews is when they asked me after a game that I didn't play so well, they would be like, hey, Ryan, today, you know, especially in Holland, they like to really point you know, that, that score spot. So they were like, hey, uh, you know, today uh, was not your greatest game, right? And and I knew from the heart it was not the greatest game. So then I would talk myself down. I was like, yeah, today I was shit and I don't know why and blah, blah, blah. And, you know, I was not good enough. I didn't deserve this jersey today. So I was talking about that. I was talking like that about myself. Yeah. And they used my words to even push me further. Like Ryan acknowledged that he doesn't deserve the jersey. So wow. I actually Terrible, man. Look, look for different players because he's wow. not acknowledged he's not good enough. You know what I mean? Sure. You know, and 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 now today you would give an answer like if they would be like, hey, today, you know, like you didn't play too well, you know? And then you would maybe give an answer like, you know, well, the, the whole team was struggling. So, yeah, therefore, I struggled too, you mm-hmm. know? But uh, it was a more a team thing, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So you kind of not put the attention on only yourself, but as a whole, right? So yeah. that is things that you learn if you do a lot of interviews and, and that the attention uh, is not too much on yourself, you know? And sometimes mm-hmm. you cannot avoid it, but most of the time you can kind of like push it a direction. Ryan, you mentioned that um, you you you've always been pretty naive. You said, right? Yeah. Like that. That with that being said, and like the media, how they are. Like, how was that initially for you? You must have found that super tough. And where do you where do you think that is now at the moment with it like was. new up and coming players? It was because um, I mean I think today uh, players from seventeen, eighteen, nineteen are much more mature and and further than when I was seventeen, eighteen, nineteen. Uh, but yeah, you know, at that time, journalists to face, they are such nice people. You know, they make you feel comfortable. Um, they, they ask nice questions. So you actually think, oh, he's, you know, he's a good journalist. You know what I mean? Mm. 
But then after you, you stalk and they publish it, they write it down differently and they, it's a whole different type of energy that you thought you had face to face. So I, that's what I'm saying. That's where my uh, naivety came from most of the time that I was uh, always believing in the good of people in general, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I had to learn it the hard way, man. So um, Jeez, man. yeah. But build, building on from that, like, was there every time, any times where you had like uh, fellow uh, teammates and you would just hear them say whatever they needed to say to come off across a type of way? But in your mind, you're like, <laughs> I, I know, I know this guy. I know what he's I saying. know you. Yeah, exactly. So, did you ever have those yeah. moments? And then, how how did you make sense of that? I mean, we have that all the time, you know. And 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 it's funny because you you crack jokes amongst each other when when let's say <laughs> let's say a player got substituted, and we knew that it was maybe controversial because hey, you know, he has now a fall off with a coach. And then he would have an interview where the journalist was like, hey, were you happy with the substitute? He'd be like, oh, no, you know, uh, it's football. It's the, it's the coach's decision. But I know in his mind, he'd be like, man, I, don't, I didn't like it at all. You know, like <laughs> the coach is a dick, you know, or something. <laughs> so then you would, you would laugh or, or, or kind of have this conversation then amongst each other, maybe in the back of the bus, you know, if you go back to, uh, from if you came back from a home game, uh, away game, mm. for example. But... That's the thing, you know, like like you said uh, at the start, like as a football player, you have to always, unfortunately, be careful what you say and you cannot really tell the truth. And then um, that's, a, that's a really important point because I'm just trying to dig into the culture. I know you, that you're into other sports as well. And like, uh, I think most of us watch the NBA and we see how free the guys are uh, to speak. So in, in your opinion, from someone that's played football and maybe also watching basketball and seeing these things like, what is the main differences or why do you think there's such a cultural difference between the, the two sports and how they talk about athletes? Um, it's a good question. And, and, and I don't know. I think um, you definitely start with culture. Um, and if I just speak for the Dutch culture, uh, the Dutch culture is very, very dry, very sober, you know? So if you stand out only just a little bit, they're already going to look at you crazy, you know, and they're already going to tell you, like, sit your ass down, like, act normal. You know what I mean? Like, you have a Dutch saying. It literally is in, in, translated in Dutch, in English. They say, act normal, then you already act weird enough. It's a yeah. Dutch thing. You know, like, act normal, then you're already acting weird enough. That's mm. mad. That's a That's Dutch mad. saying, right? That's mad. So, so... Can you imagine me coming from abroad again after all these years with colored hair? They go mad still until yeah, this yeah, day. Yeah, I'm already yeah. walking around with two and a half years with colored hair, mm-hmm. and still for some reason they cannot get used to it. They want to make comments under my com- uh, under my social media pictures, or sometimes they need to mention it in in uh, the Dutch version of of uh, 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 match of the day. Yeah. Like they always need to mention it still, like uh, you mm. know, and. Um, where in, 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 in America, you know, whether it was in the time from the Dennis Rodman or, or today. <laughs> I was going to say, yeah. Like, okay, they mentioned it once, like, oh, extravagant, uh, you know, looks. But after that, they just judge him for his performance or whatever. Mm. It is, you know? So 
it, I think it starts with culture. And, and in America, I guess, you know, they, they ju- just uh, judge you for, for what you do and how you perform rather yeah. than how you look or what you do in your private life. I think you hit the nail on the, on the head. And then you're one of the first players to um, use social media to interact with fans. And then it's funny because I see all the stuff that uh, Pogba is going through now. And mm-hmm. you were doing it way before. And um, just how, how do you perceive like, the kind of like the commentaries that you get from certain uh, journalists talking about uh, hairstyles? And, you know, here we have like a World Cup winner uh, who's won everything in the game and doesn't drink, uh, is not smoking, uh, literally just dancing. And yet there's such uh, media scrutiny. And for me, I take a bit of, it, it hurts me because it's like they're kind of attacking the culture. And it's, it's going to be on football. So I'd love to get your take on that. Um, well, yeah, you know, I, I, I could never really uh, have a good answer for the whys. But, um, yeah, you know, it's, it's unfortunate. Uh, I think if you look back in maybe football history, if you go all the way maybe, you know, maybe before we were born, I think in general football was very plain sport, you know, it was very normal, very plain. The jerseys were boring, uh, uh, the, the boots were boring, you know, and, and as you go, as you carry on, the, the game changes, right? Mm. So uh, now sponsors get involved, now the jerseys are getting more flyer. So now slowly players recognizing like, hey, you know, it's, it's also a thing. You have to, you want to look good for, 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 fans or for TV and maybe also in the first place for yourself, mm. right? Um, and, and, and today, players very early on understand that they are a brand, you know? They are their own in the, in the independent company. So when you do well, a lot of these major corporations, they want a piece of you. So it's just business at the end. So mm. you want to represent yourself the best way possible and sell yourself in a way that... First of all, um, how you want to be portray yourself. So, mm. yeah, you know, these kids nowadays, they, they, are, they are awake, you know, they are woke. Like, mm. whether it's Mbappe, whether it's Pogba, whether it's, it's all these right. young kids now coming up, they realize, like, I know I'm good and you want a piece of me, but you're going to accept me how I am. And this mm. is how we're going to do business, you know? Sick. Yeah, yeah. I mean, just... Times have changed. And in my time, it was still like kind of, you know, you had to satisfy other people. You know, you had to satisfy mm-hmm. the club. You know, you had to satisfy, okay. Uh, you know, and, and um, um, like small example, like um, in Ajax back in the days, um, you had to, in the youth, the, the way they, 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 they brought, brought you up, everybody had the same boots. Yeah. Um, you had to wear your shirt, uh, your shirt inside your pants. Yeah. You know, uh, you were not allowed to ear to wear earrings. Uh, you were not allowed to walk with 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 headphones. So everybody had to look the same. Mm. Um, mm. Now they let it go more because they see, hey, times have changed. You know, like you cannot tell a Hakim Siak like, don't do that or don't do that. <laughs> no, that's you know. Hey, right. Let's talk about that for a little bit because, like, I first heard about you probably two thousand five, two thousand six, yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then 
there was rumours that you might have become to Arsenal. So dumb that you didn't. And um, but anyway, you ended up at Liverpool. And for me, I used to watch you watch you play a lot. So I was a big fan of the way that you played and your style of play. And for me, you're a very expressive player, which like for me it would be like, okay, he's an expressive player on the pitch. He's probably very expressive off the pitch. How do you think that was helped or hindered by the managers that you had um, coming up? Well, yeah, you know, it, it, it did. And, and that was the thing. Like in the early days, I was still looking for what type of person do I want to portray myself to the outside world? You know, I know how I am naturally, but I know the 100% natural me is not always going to match with the outside world. So I was trying to satisfy people a little bit, but also satisfy myself. And mm. I was struggling a little bit, right? And and um, same with managers, you know, like um, it's, it's very clear that I had a difficult time with, with Rafa Benitez during my time in Liverpool. Um, and, and, and yeah, it was not easy as a 20-year-old, 21-year-old, you know? And, mm. and I always said, like, even though I feel like he had influence uh, at that point of the future of my career, it's such a shame that managers sometimes don't realize how much influence they actually have on young players, right? Because yeah. yeah. he could have helped me True. instead of bashing me or... or, or mm. Mm punishing me for the wrongdoings as a 20-year-old that I did at that point, you know? Like, why not helping me and make me realize, like, look, you're messing up, you mm -hmm. know? Mm -hmm. But no, he didn't say anything and he just put me on the bench. And I had to figure out, why am I on the bench? Like, I'm not mm -hmm. sure why, mm -hmm. you know? Like, and, and, and that's why, you know, much of respect to the managers who do see that and, and help these players to get their full potential, you know? And Do, do you think that... Um the, the, the relationship that you had with Rafa Benitez was based on the fact that he didn't understand where you were coming from in your culture? Possibly, possibly, yeah. Mm. Possibly. You, so, so would you think, do you think like you would have, not that you would have, but do you think, so obviously there's not a lot of black managers right now. Do you think your career would have looked a bit different if you had someone of the same culture, the same race as you looking after you in managerial Funny positions? Enough. Funny enough, the year this the year before I joined Liverpool in Ajax, I had a black manager, Henk wow. Tenkat. He was wow. uh, assistant from Frank Rijkaard in Barcelona, and he was, I think, at one point also assistant in Chelsea from mm. um, I don't know which manager, but he was the coach in Ajax, and I had one of my best seasons that year. You know, mm. and not because not because he was black, he was treating me different or special. No, he got the best out of me in a way that he understood like, hey, you know, our culture, you, it's not like the, 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 the way with, with like the, the soft hand, you know? It was yeah. a hand in combination with motivation and make me believe like you're a good player, you mm. know? Mm. Today, you were underperforming, you know? Mm. And oh, he was motivating me in the next game to, to go harder, right? So mm. that, that, yeah. It's funny. Someone, it's like it's someone because I've had the same experience myself. It's like almost like they can keep it real with you. Like yeah. they know where to, how far they can push you, but they also know that you need that love and attention to yeah. be yourself. So, um, with that being said, as well, like I just wanted to talk about racism in football and whether or not you've experienced it yourself um, coming up in the, the, the many different places that you've played in yourself. Like, mm -hmm. talk about racism and talk about the, the experiences that you potentially might have had um, playing. Yeah. Um, I mean, now that you think back of certain moments, you might be able to say that could have been possibly 
had something to do with your race mm. or color. Mm. Mm. At that time, I didn't really realize it. Um, um, the real, the first time where I really actually felt, you know, like, oh, this kind of give me chills, you know, was already kind of uh, down the line with the national team game. We played a game in Romania. And then every time when I had the ball, the, the Romanian crowd were making monkey sounds. So that was like clear, right? But um, I mean, growing up, you know, you had sometimes moments where you, uh, had to fight for a position and you knew the other player with a different type of uh, skin color had um, maybe in that time, in your opinion, less quality than you, but then he would still be chosen, right? Mm. Um, so at that point, I didn't understood why, but yeah, my father always told me like, hey, you know, you need to work a little bit harder than yeah. that person. So that was the only you know, uh, mm. information and knowledge that I had at that time. So I was just thinking like, hey, let me try to work harder then, you know, and uh, at the end to, to yeah, win a challenge like that for that position. And and, and um, at that time, I didn't understood if it maybe possibly could have had something to do with race, you know? Yeah, it's crazy, man, because I yeah. feel like there's, there's, a lot of, there's a lot of things that get said in the changing room and a lot of things that get said on the pitch that sure, yeah. you probably just shrug off because you've been part of this system for so long that it's just so commonplace for people to make those remarks. Yeah, um, yeah. You know, um, and you said that you've obviously gone through some of those things and looking back, you might have believed that they are. Um, just to close off this, this part from me, how do you think um, like football in itself can move forward in, in this like current climate and, and with this whole um, movement that is happening with mm-hmm. black players and... Um, black management as well. Yeah. Um, I mean, not only football, but I think mm. like, you know, racism, like it's, it's a difficult topic. It's a very sensitive topic. I think um, you, you, you will not get, I don't think you will get racism out of a person who has been raised a certain way to become a racist Mm. but i think you do save a lot of situations like uncomfortable situations by putting um uh highly punishments and i don't know if it's realistic but let's say if there was a law that would say if there's a racist uh, 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 situation, that person who's actually being racist can go to jail Mm. for 10 years. I'm not Mm. saying, I don't know if it's realistic, but bet that a lot of these racist people would keep their mouth shut. So not saying that they will change them, but they would be very careful. Now I feel like, and especially you see a lot of these clips in America, a lot of these people, they do know it and they do know that they can maybe get away with it. So they, they playing, they're playing onto it. You know what I mean? Mm, mm, mm. And, and, and because they know there are no consequences other than maybe going viral and that's it. Like what else? Yeah. I don't, don't go to jail. Police is not going to do anything like, mm. Oh, you're in, you're in your feelings. Like good for you. I don't care. Right. But if there were like really harsh, harsh consequences for it, like, like I said, I just, I, I had this idea in my head. Like what if, if there was a law that, Hey, if you can prove, someone was, was, was being racist and it's on video and you can show that to law enforcement and 
The punishment for that is 10 year jail. You bet you a lot of these people will be keep more quiet than you already sure. kind of yeah. have maybe less moments of mm. you know bumping mm -hmm. into people like that. Mm -hmm. yeah. That's just me thinking out loud. I'm not saying oh, it's realistic. I'm not saying maybe they have to do that, but hey. <laughs> no, but I think I think you're, it's you're well within your rights to say those things. And I think the more that we do like voice what we think might should happen and what, what could happen. Right. then potentially those things could, could have come to fruition. And so, the, conversation, yeah. the conversation for decades and still today for a lot of people who don't understand now and then I'm talking about being black, right? Uh, because, you know, also Chinese people, they, they feel race, they, they, they get, have racism in their way. Spanish people, uh, a lot of different cultures have, you know, everybody uh, ex can experience racism. But in terms of now, if you talk about black people, for a lot of people who don't understand what it is to be black, they always want to talk about, oh, how do you feel? And what, yeah. you know, mm, what does mm. it do to you? I feel mm. like we have already had too much conversations about that. It's now the next step. What are we going to do about it? Like, yeah. you, you already know. You can do your research how people in general, black people right. feel what you know, it does to them. So let's not constantly ask like, oh, you know, you want to come to my show and talk about how you feel about being, getting, no, no, no. Let's move now to the next phase. What are we going to do about it? You know, in each country, whether it's UK, Holland or America, let's talk about with people from higher up, like, what are we going to do? What's the solution? Yeah. It's crazy because we had a conversation. We was like, if you look at the NBA, for example, imagine if all of the NBA players stopped playing, like, there is no, there is no basketball. There's like, I think it's ninety percent of the league, eighty percent of the league are, are, are black, right? Right. So I'm thinking, like, from a, even just from a pure football perspective, like, how do you feel players can, either a use their platform to to try and stop racism, or b just make a huge stand and be like, do you know what, fuck this, we're not, we're not gonna play anymore. Like, imagine mm. if all black football players just said we're not gonna play anymore. That's some of the mm. best players in the world. It's mm. it's it's a difficult question because. Um, you need you need real unity with that, you know. And individually, even though a lot of a lot of black players would maybe feel that way, you st it's, it still takes a lot of courage to actually execute mm. and say, you know what? Yes, we're not gonna play anymore, you know. And if you're just gonna do it with one or two players, then it, it, it doesn't gonna it's not gonna help, you know. Mm. So that's the most difficult part: the unity actually everybody being exactly on the same page and agreeing mm. with each other, like this is what we're going to do to try at least to have an impact. Mm. You know, like posting Instagram photos or campaigns and, you know, it's good for one, two days and after people forget and move on again. Exactly. Like, you know, like we tried so much, so many things with teams and national teams and, you know, uh, but... Yeah, it's, it's a difficult question how we could actually impact. Like, yeah, like I said, if you come something with like a really harsh, harsh type of solution that people would not expect. Yeah. No, it's, it's, but yeah, who, who's, who's going to take the initiative? And this person who's going to take the initiative, is he going to be backed? Yeah. Everybody's thinking kind of like, you know, they don't want to throw their windows in. Like, oh, I don't want to lose my sponsorship deal or I don't want to lose my car. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's 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 a difficult balance. There's so many, yeah, there's so many different intricacies. Yeah, you know? Yeah. But you, you spoke about um 
throughout a lot of this call kind of almost being on the forefront of things that have been changing, right? Like, for example, you know, having different coloured hair, Mm. um, not really giving a shit about some of the media and how they are and what they say and really like just growing as a person. And that's also been reflected in your style, right? Like off the pitch. Typically footballers are just, they all wear the same thing. They all dress the same. I'm sure you probably see in a dresser and you're like, why is everyone wearing the same shit? Yeah, yeah, same yeah. jeans. <laughs> yeah, right. same, same kicks, right. same brands. Yeah. Everything dripping it. Same I drip. mean, I at one point was the same type of kind of um, player too, um, and then but yeah, then I came to realize like yeah, you know, it's it's not very, um, uh, it doesn't fulfill right. And I realized that time when uh, uh, the red bottoms was a hot, hot topic. <laughs> Everyone takes you know the picture showing their shoes. Yeah, you know the, the, the <laughs> men boots with the spikes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, so in my whole life, I, I, I bought two pairs only. And, and, and the second time when I bought the pair, first of all, they don't even fit nice. They, they hurt my feet a lot with walking, you know. Mm. And... They're very expensive. And for me, having those two shoes and not wear them, because the first I was like, they don't uh, fit me uh, comfortable, but it's a waste of money. That's mm-hmm. where I realized, like, I don't have to constantly jump on bandwagons for what's hot. Mm-hmm. Remember with the, with the Louis Vuitton backpacks the, 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 that everybody had? The, the, yeah. With the squares. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Black ones and the gray ones. Um, same with that, you know, at one point, everyone had that one, the backpack, you know, and now, uh, uh, and already early on, but now more, you can, it's, it's more of a challenge that you can present yourself great and combine different type of brands. And it doesn't always have to necessarily be a designer clothes. Like I mm, actually exactly. like that. You have a lot of these independent cloning lines now who bringing out amazing gear, you know. So mm-hmm. and, and and I like their hustle, you know. Like I get lots of DMs from from independents, like, hey, is it okay? I can send you some shirts, and you know, can you wear them? Sick. You know, like I like that. I, I feel yeah. it, you know. And um, because yeah, you know, most of the time if you talk about designers, and especially if you if you have that one item that's actually dope, everybody gonna jump on it. You know, um, so yeah, I'm always trying to now be more creative. You know, combine maybe Zara with 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 uh, Neil Barrett, or, or or you know, you're trying to just you know be creative and and, and unique. You know, so that's how that's I wavy, approach uh, fashion. So right, you're, you're a man after my own heart. Like these these, these, <laughs> these lot come for me in my drip all the time. But like, oh, right. allow it, bro. Oh, oh stop it, Stephen, man. No, bro, allow it, bro. Drip, and it's not the time. Oh, this is not the time, bro. Not the time, please. Listen, no. listen. <laughs> drip. Drip. Dribble, bro. <laughs> right. <laughs> no, but it's, it's it's so sick. I think you made a sick point, Ryan, about um everyone's always u- usually wearing the same thing. You mentioned the fact that you were sort of in that bubble as well. But yeah, where where does that come from? Like what? What what is that mentality with amongst football players that they all want to you know sort of like dress and wear the same stuff? Like why yeah. is that? I think if you talk about um, 
if you talk about football players who have similar backgrounds like me, whether you're Surinamese or African or, or you know, like the urban, urban culture type of football players, um, I think most of them, they, they had nothing. And then once they eventually finally have something, I think they first want to have that recognition and actually show like, I made it. You know, you want to have that confirmation to be able to say like, I made it. Right. And now you're going to tap into brands uh, or cars, what you before never were able to dream of or be able to touch. And now it's so close to your grabbing that you want to have that feeling once, right? Hey, I drove a Bentley. I'm now able to wear Gucci. I'm now able to sing that Gucci song too, because I'm able to, (laughs) I have Gucci now, you know? (laughs) It's just that, right? Like, it's like, you know, you've been like, whether like in my time, you look up to JC or or Lil Wayne, who are rapping about those things. And now you'd be like, yeah, lift that also a little bit, you know? Mm. But then it gets, it gets boring real quick. And then the question is, what are you going to do after, right? Mm. So for me now, I'm at a phase now where I kind of now trying to inspire football players by, you know, investing, you know, your money, your earned money into assets that produce cash flow. And then, you know, if you build a good enough, a big enough cash flow with the money that you put in assets, buy stupid shit with your cash flow, you know, instead of with your earned income. You know what I mean? Because... It's cool to buy a Rolex today, but can you buy it in 30 years? Mm. That's the question, you know? Mm. That's when you know you either came out well out of your career, you did, you, you spent your money wisely, or you were just living in the moment and then 30 years later you back in Tesco, or I don't know, you know what I mean? Or oh, Albert Hyde. Yeah, Ryan, you, you, you raised a great point about investment, I think, in the long term. And, um, you know, I've, I've, you know, naturally we've done research on you and we saw that you have like, I'll be the brand and I'll be the business. Yeah. And, you know, it was really compelling to see, you know, and it's funny as well that you spoke in earlier about um, the media. People are focusing on the color of your hair, which to me is random because it's not their problem. It's, right. it's, what, it's what you do every time. And right. it's your... your it's your thing, but they don't speak about how you're so much into self-empowerment and, um, you know, um, on telling people of color to invest in themselves and also to potentially look, look, look at real estate. So yeah. please um, explain um, what's your mindset about um, RB um, business and, and, and how you got into real estate. Yeah. Um, so over my career, I've tried uh, many types of different investments. Um, also, sometimes investment that I was not even knowledgeable about, but, you know, I made a person made me believe that was maybe at that time, the best thing to invest in. Mm. And then you try or you gamble, but then you, you noticed that, um, for a lot of people who like me, even though, yes, I am football player. I unfortunately never had the good education that you hoped you have so that you understand how, uh, you know, the society and economics works. Um, so I had to find out the hard way. And, and um, you know, at one point, you bumped into real estate, you do a little research, and then from all different type of sectors, you find out actually real estate is the most easiest thing to do if you understand what you're doing. And everybody can do it. So um, I think 
real estate for me is the 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 number one asset class that how every random people if you learn it you can change your life around you know um you don't need to have an incredible degree or a degree at all to 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 learn about real estate and um like i said you know if you if you if you're knowledgeable enough there's not much risk uh that comes with real estate and 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 you have real assets that you can touch and, and you can, you know, you can build generational wealth and you can leave it for your kids. Like, you know, if, if I would die today, hope not like my assets are still there for my, my kids. Right. Mm. Um, and in terms of real estate specific, um, nowadays, how I, how I look at investment is you have these type of investments where you invest in startups or, or you invest in, you know, cloning lines. And then you hope one day it's big enough that it will pay your bills. Right. But nowadays I look at investments as, hey, if I want to invest today, tomorrow, or at the end of that month, I want to have a return already because my bills are every month. I'm not going to invest in a company that's hopefully in seven years going to be 100 million pounds or dollars. And then, yes, we're going to sell it and then I'm going to make money. But what about these 10 years in between? Like these bills are still need to be paid. So just <laughs> I feel like you can, if you make the right investment in real estate, you directly get a check every month and you can pay your bills. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So um, that's, where, that's why I want to try um, also definitely in, 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 in terms of football world. I'm trying to kind of like make investment, uh, investing in real estate more cool and more sexy so that instead of like, because you'll be surprised if you're going to sit at a footballer's table where there's national team or a club team, you know, and you have, you have lunch. The conversation is mostly about, Hey man, what watch did you buy? Yeah. What car did you buy? What did you buy? You know, like why not change the conversation to like, Hey man, like which building did you buy? Oh my God, I bought that building. What about you? You know what I mean? Like so you want to yeah. make, you want to make the, you want to change the narrative and you want to make investment in real estate cooler and sexy, but at the same time, it's smart to do because you know, that's what's going to keep your head above waters. No, that, that, that's dope and I just want to ask quickly like, have you had uh, any interaction from like um, any f- any followers of yours or, or even any any teammates or ex-teammates that asking you oh I've, I've seen you using your platform um, can you help yeah. me on this have you already had yeah. some exchanges like that yeah 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 I had slowly you know especially the the, the, the younger players trying to ask me you know slick yeah. questions that's you know, dope, um, but, uh, you know, most of the time what it is, and, and that's why I'm, I'm being very careful because, you know, uh, um, preferably I, I will approach, you know, any of my friends in football and say, like, try to, you know, convince them and turn them into go to real estate. But you want to be very careful with that because football players in general, you, they, they have this ego around them that they don't really like to be told what to do, you know? That's mm-hmm. crazy, though. Yeah, you know, it's unfortunate, but that's... That's just how it is. And, and, and so you just want to create something that they approach you instead of you approach them. So I'm just putting the information out there. And if they knock in my door, I'm happily, you know, uh, uh, um, to help them. Um, so that's what I try to create. You know, you try to create a track record. You try to create real experience, not just knowledge, but also really, you know, experience. And you try to show them that, hey, you know, if you want to be able to buy that, that Rolls Royce in 20 years' time when you retire, like, this could be the key, you know? 
and hopefully you know they knock on your door and then you try to help them again. so refreshing to hear you talk yeah. like this because you know you just spoke about the the, the normal mentality of football players yeah like, where did where did it come from from you to one day say like yo okay i'm not going to be a football player forever like what yeah. gave you that foresight and yeah. you know because I, I feel like you're very different i don't i don't mm-hmm. think like many football players think like this where did well, this come from yeah well like i said so when i tried all these type of investments and you know one investment didn't work and one investment didn't really came out as you thought it was like at one point you realize like i realized 26 27 like hey you know i'm on this wages now monthly and i was trying to figure out what other job after my career is gonna pay me at least the same amount that I'm earning today. So I was really trying to, to think. And there's no job <laughs> that pays you over 300,000 euros monthly. You know? Like, really? Like, <laughs> if, if, if I stop, I want to at least... on them! Yeah! <laughs> <laughs> Tell them again, right? Tell them again. Start on them, right? <laughs> <laughs> no, but, you know, for real, like, there's no job like 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 personally you never want to go backwards in your lifestyle you want to at least maintain or move forward right so yeah like the first question like what job is going to maintain my lifestyle there's no job you know that is going to maintain that and 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 that's where at the end i figured like hey if you invest uh, the correct way in real estate real estate can give you that answer yeah, it's just as that simple, man. Right, honestly, bro, it's been incredible to talk to you, bro. <laughs> um, and before we go, I think we just have one last question that we want to ask you. So, if you weren't a footballer uh, and you had to choose another profession, mm-hmm. what would it be, man? Well, you know, I would say today, now I probably would get involved in music, but in the early days, um, I had really no idea. But I had some type of sympathy for bus drivers. You know why? Because when I went to school with, uh, with the bus, I always uh, were sitting in front. And I, I found it all, always fascinating to see how this guy was, like, navigating this big wheel. Always <laughs> <laughs> when he was making this, this um, how you call this, this um, when he had to turn right, he had to go a little bit wider, right? So I always, yeah, 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 yeah. is he going to hit? The, the side of the road, and he would never hit it, right? And I always, you know, like find that fascinating how a person would drive and navigate a big vehicle like that. So in the early days, I was I never had the real answer, but then I would say, I guess maybe bus driver. Oh, nice man, nice. Well, if you see Ryan driving a, a bus around Amsterdam, right? Heard it here first. But listen, you've been listening to the Out of Home podcast. This is. Unmarked yeah, with your boys, Kieran, Yaf, Stephen, Kwame, and the one and only Ryan Babel. Yeah! Yes, 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 yes. yes. Big up, big up. Thank you, guys. Pleasure. That was so wavy. Oh, Ryan, thank you, thank you so, you so much, much, man. Thank you Appreciate so much, bro. Thank you. How, how much longer are you in Dan for? Uh, end of the month, I'm uh, going back to um, uh, Istanbul. And I start with Galatasaray. Sick man. Well, yeah. it's a shame we can't really do anything. I would have said, "What's the what's the sick clubs to go to in Amsterdam?" Right. Actually. Yeah. I'm sure you know. <laughs> but no, thank you again, man. We really appreciate your time. We're sorry, it went a little bit over. But, no um, problem. No problem. Thank you, and looking yeah. forward to when it to when it releases, man. For sure. Yeah, for sure.
Give me close to that. Thank you. All right, All right bro. Love, bro. Bye. Bye. Peace and love, bro. Love, love, love. You London boys are crazy. All right, come on. Head over to Hulu this March, where our new shows and movies will keep you streaming all month long. Catch the acclaimed movie, All of Us Strangers, starring Paul Mescal and Andrew Scott. Stream the new Hulu original limited series, We Were the Lucky Ones, with Joey King and Logan Lerman. And don't forget about Grey's Anatomy. Every Grey's episode ever is now streaming on Hulu. So, what are you waiting for? Go stream something new on Hulu.